Amen. Um, truly, we are thankful just to be in the house of the Lord, especially in celebration of um, just our return to the church, National Back to Church Sunday. Um, it is a privilege to, as I say every week, to be able to gather, to be able to meet together in the house of the Lord. We do not take it for granted um, that the Lord has given us such an honor and a privilege to gather among the body of believers. Um, it is a wet, wet Sunday out there today, so I saw a lot of people jumping online. It's fine. So all we have it for the people who um, can't make it in. We thank God for those people as well, and we thank God for all of those who are here. I'm especially excited to preach this sermon to celebrate um, just National Back to Church Sunday, but also just talking about the uh, depth of community. So if you didn't see it um, this past week, or yesterday rather, I had the honor of being um, a featured article in the Gospel Coalition, which was talking about the church as community. So um, the Lord really worked it out in such a way that as we are talking about community, that was also the time I was able to come back and share and, and write something about what it means for the church to represent as a community. And I'm especially excited to be able to go even into more depths about that this week and even towards the end of this sermon, just share the different ways that I've needed the church this week to be a community for me as well. So um, I'm just excited to share with you um, this week. So um, anybody that knows me um, well knows if this statement I'm about to make is true or not, that I am not a person bent towards hyperbole. So if you know me well or not, you know whether or not I really exaggerate or if I'm just talking because it's a sermon. But I do want to let you know that we are what I believe um, at a critical juncture in the history of the church. I do believe that. And I felt that regarding the church, you know, pre-pandemic, that we were on the cusp of some interesting times in regards to the health of the church. Now, when I say that we are at a critical juncture, I don't mean that we are at a critical juncture to the point that that nullifies the sovereignty of God or that anything we read in the scriptures are untrue. That's not the case at all. But I do believe that we are at a point that if the believers don't do something, if we don't act, then what we know to be the nature of the church will be changed forever. And so for that reason, I make the statement that we are at a critical juncture in the history of the church. Now, one of the beautiful things about working through books of the Bible is that God um, sovereignly and providentially places topics in our way. I'm just working through the book of Acts. And it just so happens in his sovereignty that we are coming to talk about community today on the day of National Back to Church Sunday and the day after I was able to have this article written. So I do like the way God and his sovereignty weaves all these things together. And so this week we are talking about the church as community, the church as community. So I just said that I'm not one for hyperbole, but allow me one more moment of hyperbole. But this may be the most important sermon that I've ever preached just for our church specifically, but also for the church universal. I think there are many side effects and symptoms of things going on, but I'm thinking that there is a root cause to it. And when I get done, what I'm hoping is that we can see what the problem with the church universal is, but also know that what we can do is very essential. And hopefully this sermon will serve as a challenge for us. So 
as I said, today's sermon is the church as community. So we're going to be looking back in Acts. We're finally up to Acts chapter 18, so we don't have much longer to go. We're looking at Acts chapter 18, verse 1, Acts 18 and 1. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for... One more opportunity just to share in the word, God, um, as I need you every Sunday to do. I need you to um, move me out of the way, get me out of the way so that your word can go forth, so that your word will be true. And so that is nothing of me, all of you, none of Brandon and all of grace. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So from our sermon last week, we should remember that when Paul got to Athens, he spoke to the people. And while the Bible says that some of the people there believed, he was largely rejected and sent off from there to Corinth, which we learned was about a 40 mile journey. Now, what is significant here about Corinth is that in Rome, Claudius had actually issued an edict that all worshipers of Christus, that being Christ, had to leave. And so this is significant because it does show that there is a different context here for these believers than perhaps we have really ever experienced in the American church context, where there is this oppression towards Christians specifically. And so it at least makes me wonder with these two questions as far as community and it happens in the Christian church in America. You know, why do we think that we believe that Christians in other countries are stronger believers than we are? And why do we feel like believers in other countries have a better bond with one another? I believe ultimately it is because they have had to endure something that we as Christians in America have not had to endure. When you look in the Bible or even in other countries with Christians in them, they have all been under much more oppressive rule and had much more oppressive leadership than we feel like we have. And for them, they view community as a necessity, while many of us view community and gathering and coming to church as not a necessity, but a burden. I want you to get some background on what kind of city Corinth was so that you can understand just how important it was that these believers find one another. Now, in Corinth, it was a major port city. It was off the coast of the Mediterranean, which means all of the commercial success that you could expect happened because of that city. It was a very diverse city with about 200,000 people in it, which is quite large for a city during that time. The commentary that I work with while I'm working through Acts says that it would have been Las Vegas for us. That's the kind of city that Corinth was. And so understanding that Paul gets there, he gets to Corinth, 
And he sees and knows that there are all these competing values against his Christianity, some immorality. And the most important thing for him to do when he gets to that city, where are the Christians? Where are the other believers? The most important thing for him to do is find the other believers. And how was he able to do that? Let's look back at what the text says here. It says, Paul went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. How is Paul able, in the midst of all this immorality, in the midst of a city of sin, how is he able to have found a Christian so quickly? And it's quite clear to me, I believe, is that there was obviously a network here of believers And he was directed to Aquila, who'd recently himself migrated to the area. And so that brings us to the first point in today's sermon, and the one we're going to work with the most, and that's this. The Christian community is broad. The Christian community is broad. Within this network, while 40 miles doesn't seem that long, there was a vast cultural difference here. And yet, when Paul arrives, even in this city... There were Christians. Now, I know we tend to think that the Christian community itself is small. And while it is not the majority, it is actually amazing when you think about what God has done all the way back to the establishment of the church itself. When God first saved those first believers and when they heard and they all heard in their own language, it was significant because it was demonstrating that the Christian community is unlike any other community. That our faith is unlike any other faith in this, that almost every other major religion, no matter what that religion is. Every major religion has stayed, had the majority of its people localized where it started. Think about it. Muslims still, the majority of the people who are Muslims are still in the Middle East. The the majority of people who practice Hinduism and Buddhism are still localized in East Asia. Yet Christianity, which start in the same place that many of these religions started, could not help because of its broadness, but stretch out from the place that it originally started. How is that possible, though? Because the gospel in this remarkable way reaches everybody. Now, it's remarkable in this sense that in order to be a part of the Christian community, you have to be a Christian. That's it. So it is exclusive in that regard. But it is inclusive in this way that anybody can literally be a Christian. Anybody, it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter where you live. Anybody can be taken from where they are and made a part of the Christian community. And that's what make it makes it broad. I want you to see, too, how Paul was able to connect with believers here, because this is no no small part. Luke says that he was able to come to them because they were of the same trade. They had the same job and their profession was that they were leather workers. And one of the things that leather workers did was that they made tents. That's what Paul would do so that he wouldn't burden any of the places he preached for money. Paul had a job and very often he would go around and either work with leather and make something or make tents. 
This is what makes our community broad, but it is also what shows us how great and infinite the wisdom of God is. God has created every one of us, every single person that is in this church. God has created us all with different types of gifts. He's created us all with different types of abilities, different types of interests. And what he is doing with them is that he is redeeming them and using those gifts, those interests, those abilities for his glory. Now, how is he able to do that? Because he is placing us as believers in the world as it pleases him to use our gifts for him. To be his ambassadors where we are. But he is also creating a network by connecting us to people we otherwise would not have a reason to connect to. This is one of the reasons when I'm talking to the kids at the school, specifically the seniors, and as they're trying to plan out what they're going to do, and they all think, okay, what job can I do to make me the most money? And I always tell them, no, you do whatever God has put you on this earth to do, because in that way, will you glorify him? It doesn't matter what the amount of money is and it doesn't matter what the job is. If God has gifted you and bent you in a certain way, that's the direction that you should go. Because God has an intended purpose in what he's going to do through you. Because he's bent you that way because it pleases him. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now, this is the confirmation, but this is also what makes Christianity so distinct and so amazing. In the one sense that when we come to him, when we come to Jesus Christ, we are forsaking our old nature. We are forsaking our flesh. We are dying to our past values. But what God does, which is so gracious, people, which is so gracious to us, is that he says that in all the ways that you have been gifted, all the various ways, he will take those gifts and now give them meaning and purpose in our lives. Listen, I didn't become a good speaker when I got saved, I didn't I didn't have the ability or the gift for gab just because I became a Christian. But what God did is he took the way that he had already gifted me because you knew me back then. I definitely used my gift of gab for other purposes back then. But God took that and he redeemed it for his glory. And now it's amazing because I think in that way, though sin was influencing how I was using it. That was still very much who I was and how God had bent me. And when he saved me, he didn't refigure the way that I was gifted. He just changed the way that I used the way that I was gifted. That's the beautiful part. He takes it and he uses the things that we have been able to do and he uses it for his glory and he gives them meaning and purpose. In our own congregation, people, we have physical therapists, we have nurses, we have 
um, business owners, we have a grant writer, we have bankers, we have retirees. And sometimes I think, am I the only one that knows all this? Am I the only person that knows that we have all of this gifting in us? See, this is the thing. It isn't a community just because we have all of these people. It becomes a community when we gather and fellowship and these gifts now become the way that we serve one another. That's what makes it a community. And if that's the case, then what are some of the things that disrupt community? Well, in short, to simplify it, it's selfishness. Selfishness is what disrupts community. The idea that our things are just our things. They aren't. This is what the early church mastered. Do you remember what we saw when we looked at Acts chapter 4 when the church was first established? And I preached a message called the common community, a common community. It said this in Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. When the church was established, there was this sense of community because they all felt that there was a sense of indebtedness that believers felt toward one another. And in such an oppressive rule, all they had was the other believers. All they had was each other. And they relied on each other and they strengthened one another. And it wasn't forced. They didn't need small groups. They didn't need plans. They didn't need systems. They didn't need programs. They didn't even need Sunday school. It was organic that the people they most wanted to spend their time with were the other believers. Not even their own families. They, in a lot of these cases, had forsaken their families so that they could be a part of the new family to which they had been adopted. But one of the challenges that we can face in having community is that we tend to only want to have community on our own terms. Think about it. The same people God gave us to broaden our communities are also sometimes the same people that we only want to have community with. What do I mean by that? We, we become kind of insulated in our community. Our community becomes just a few of the people who act like us, who talk like us, who think like us, even among the church. So if you are like a hand in the body of Christ, as opposed to operating and functioning with the rest of the, the members of the body, you say, uh, I'm kind of only going to be cool with just the other hands in the body. Feet, I have no need for the feet, just me, me and the other hands. And we think that that's a church. Or if you say, no, I'm, I'm the eyes and eyes. We have no desire to be with the hands and certainly not the feet. We don't mess with the other members of the body. Community is broken down when we say things like this. I don't want all those people in my house. I don't need everybody cooking. They got pets. 
These are some of the things that we naturally say when it's like, oh, let's do community. Let's have community. Why don't you invite somebody to your house? Well, I don't know. They made this. They made this. We immediately start making excuses for why we think community shouldn't happen. And inevitably is usually self-centered. It's usually centered around. What, but, but this is what makes me comfortable. And for most of us, we view our houses as the last piece of ourselves that we have. And we can go there and be comfortable. Those things and those sayings, they're saying that I'm not participating in any community that is different than me. That breaks down the broadness of the community that God has given us. The other day I was having a conversation with Alex and he was kind of frustrated about some of his classmates and he keeps kind of getting in trouble with them. Not bad trouble, but just kind of trouble. And he was like, you know, I don't think you understand. Like these kids are sinners. That's what he said. And I was like, I know that, Alex. Like I work with them every day. Like I'm very aware of it. He was like, yeah, but it's not like my old school. It's like, you know. We didn't, we, we didn't have any of that. Like, they didn't talk like that. They didn't act like this at all. And I remember, you know, we were sitting outside of Captain D's waiting on the food. So I remember the conversation very specifically. I said, well, Alex, you got to think about it like this. The last school that you went to didn't have the vision that restoration has. The last school you went to said, no, you know, we don't really want the broken families. We don't really want the people from the, the rough areas. And they, I said they created that school as an escape mechanism from the world. And they insulate themselves like, no, we just want the people who think like we think, who have the same values we have, who have the same morals that we have. And I was like, and that's what they want. I was like, you ever notice how small that school stays because they want to keep it that way. I was like, but at our school, we have actually adapt, adopted a different vision, which is no matter where you come from, we realize that the community is broad and that we are trying to be grasped by the gospel and says from every part of the earth, there are people who believe and that there are people who belong to Jesus Christ that even we don't know yet who are going to come out of some of these communities that many of us don't really want to associate with. And he said, oh, I didn't know that. But he was like, but that does make sense. Do we feel when we think about the church and community, do we feel the same desire for it? One of the unfortunate happenings in our society is that we are pressed and and convinced towards independence and individuality. But we are just not built to be individuals. We were not created that way. Coming out of a pandemic, my hope was that it would create for us this intense desire to be back a part of the community. But unfortunately for many of us, it has only driven us back home. What this does is that not only does it take away our chance to experience sanctification through fellowshipping with other believers, but we are also missing the full beauty of our community. That brings him to our second point. The Christian community is diverse. The Christian community is diverse. Now, this is similar to the first point, but it is different in some ways. The Christian community is broad in the sense that it reaches several 
professions. It reaches across several different giftings, but it is also diverse in that the people who make up this community are not just one people group. Listen, I know diverse or diversity is like like a like a, a hot word, but I don't just mean diversity in its shallow terms like, oh, we have diversity of race or diversity of ethnicity. I mean it in the most beautiful and God honoring way. Look at Galatians three and seven. So we can have a better understanding of what this diversity means and looks like. In Galatians three and seven, it says, know that. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This promise to Abraham was through him all was that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed and it would be through our faith in Jesus. Here is the redeeming quality of the gospel where it takes peoples and it makes us a people. That's what first Peter says. No, before this, you know, I know you had an allegiance to your race, but you were not a race. You were not a people. But when we came, we became one race of people, the chosen race of believers who no matter where you come from, have one commonality is that by faith we have been adopted into a new family. And he takes this random random collection of individuals and he gives us the sameness of mind and spirit and he gives us one goal and one purpose which is to serve him and to see him glorified in this earth listen when we think about the fulfillment of the kingdom we have to acknowledge that it will only be perfected in eternity I know that The diversity of the kingdom will not be perfected here on earth. But it should be pursued. It should be pursued. How do we pursue diversity in our community? Well, it starts with each individual being proactive. It starts with proactivity on our parts. Many believers will complain about community not coming in them. But my question is, how are they going out and making community happen? If the charge for evangelism is that we go and make disciples preaching the gospel all over the world, then doesn't it stand a reason that the way we fulfill the gospel is the same way? That we go and disciple one another who have come to the faith, that we create community with one another. Every now and again, not often, but every now and again, I'll be at home and I'll be walking around. It'd be like something obscure, like a sock in the middle of the floor. Not my sock, of course, but a sock. And I'll see it and I'll walk past it thinking, now, somebody know they need to pick this sock up. They know their sock is in the middle of the floor. They need to just pick this sock up. And then some time will pass and I'll walk back through and I'm like, they still ain't picked this sock up? Like... They notice they sock. They just pick the sock up. And then a little bit more time will pass. And then finally, like, 
it gets to like the final boss and I'll take it to Christy, you know, the uh, person who's in charge of the house. I'm like, you see them kids ain't picked that sock up. And she's like, no, did you pick it up? And then I realized every time that the exact thing that I was complaining about getting done, I had the ability, the capability and the time to do it. Many times what breaks down community in the church is that the thing we want everybody else to do, we should be doing. We should be proactive. How are we inviting people into our space? How are we inviting people into our lives, into our homes? Listen, I get it. We are one of the most protective groups of people that you can imagine. Like We don't want anybody to know what's going on in our house. I remember growing up, one of the main things, especially we had something going on. Now, don't y'all go to school telling nobody about what's going on in this house. Because it was like this. We keep that stuff insulated and protected and guarded because inevitably our greatest desire is not to be vulnerable for other believers, but to keep up appearances. But what do you think would happen if the community we desired and wanted to pursue would only happen if we would convince ourselves that we don't need all these walls of protection up and that we can open up and be vulnerable. Before I got up, my dad shared something very vulnerable that we experienced this week as a family, which some people say, oh, you don't ever do that, especially not before a church service. But this is our community. We need people to know what we need prayer for. But if we live in a world where we're all protective of our ideals and our lives, then no matter what small group you have, no matter how much you hang out, community isn't happening. How are we being proactive? How are we inviting people into our homes? How are we inviting people into our lives, into the depths of our sins and our vulnerabilities and our missteps and our mistakes? How are we getting together with other members in the church and not waiting for an announcement from the pastor and choosing to create fellowship anyway? How are we creating community where it doesn't exist? Look at Ephesians 5 and 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that brings us to our third and final point. Community is the health of the church. Community is the health of the church. This final point just may be the most important point in this sermon. We have several measurements these days about what makes a church successful. And in general, those are all driven by some number, some metric like attendance, weekly views. And and I fall in that trap myself. I look at our podcast numbers every week to see how many people are listening. 
But none of those things are the true measurement of what success and health means as a church. So what is our metric? What is our metric to know if a church is healthy? I think it's quite simple. Is it a community? Is that church a community? Or does that church remain just this random collection of individuals who go to the same building every week and have their own relationship with their own version of God, but have no relationship with the other people that they know in the church? Look again at Ephesians. This time Ephesians 4 and 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us to the measure of Christ's gift. A healthy church has healthy community when we are acting in all of the ways and all of the qualities and bearing the fruit of the spirit together with one another eager to maintain unity of the spirit eager meaning that we are actively pursuing common unity we are not just showing up to church and then rushing to go on our way but we are pursuing our brothers and sisters and checking in and fellowshipping showing the type of humility that says even though i want to get on with the rest of my day i am making time for you this past week, there were several things that happened. Um, the one being on Thursday where this, I don't know if you saw this in Fairfield, this young lady that got shot and killed. She was a mother of three. That was actually somebody that I knew quite well, in fact. And um, I had gone to high school with her right up the street. And I, I had been very worried about her for, you know, a few years and, in my desire to reach out and see her drawn in, I'd even like had Chris to go meet with her and we would check in with her. And, um, and she was killed right up the street from my job. And that, that really got to me. Not much gets to me these days, but that, I mean, that really shook me. And then the same day, you know, with my sister and what was going on with her, it was just a lot. And I went to Faye's office. Y'all know Faye. I can share this because she's not here today, so it's perfect. I went in Faye's office, and Faye can read me like a book. And I was like, there's just a lot going on. And she was like, you know, I don't, I don't do no, no let's pray. She was like, but why don't we just pray? And for, I don't know how long, five minutes, Faye just prayed. She just prayed with me. And, and, and during that prayer, knowing that this was a sermon that I was going to preach, there was this moment where I realized this is what the community is. This is what community does. It's like, no, I don't care that you are the pastor of the church. You need prayer. And I'm not letting you go anywhere until we pray about what's going on. And that's what she did. That's community. It's not self-seeking. 
It is not self-serving, but it looks at what the other people in the community needs. And we do the best to meet that need. If a church doesn't have community, then no matter the size, no matter the metric of success, it can hardly be a church. You know, when we used to do our greet your neighbor time before the pandemic and we got all afraid of each other. Y'all remember what a joy that was when we would do that? How about we still do that, but take it on yourselves to find your brother or your sister in the Lord and fellowship with them. Find somebody like, look, I see this person every week and I don't even know this person's name. Go out of your way this time and say, hey, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is even what I do. Share some things. Would you like to do this? Would you like to do that? That is community. I'm challenging our community. For the ones who are here and the ones who are watching, even the people who are listening, the people who are going to get on the Bible study tomorrow, find someone that is coming to this church, and after you see them, meet them, and greet them, exchange numbers, set dates to meet. Community doesn't just happen in small groups. It happens when anytime believers gather in fellowship. And so my question for you is, how are you in your own life, in this church, how are you creating community? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just another time to share. God, we thank you um, that you have given us what we need to know about community that we are called to have, God, that it is beyond just ourselves, Lord, that it is beyond just our comfort and the way that we are gifted, but that you have given us this community to serve you by serving one another. Lord, it is our prayer that you will bind us together, that you will create this bond in us, that you will draw us into fellowship with one another, that you will lead us and know that the health of our church, the health of our lives is going to be that we are spending time with people in our community, that we are giving of ourselves, that we are sacrificing our values, and that we're taking the ways and the things that you have done to gift us and, and to distinguish us, and we're using those things for the common good and for your glory. Lord, show us all the ways that we have failed to have community and show us what we can do to break through that. Lord, I also pray, God, that if there's anybody here or anybody watching who's like, listen, one, I've never heard that sermon. I've never heard anybody say anything about the church being a part of a community, and I want to be a part of that community. God, let this be the day that you sovereignly reveal yourself, that you remind us of the truth of the gospel, that we were all born here apart from you. We were all born sinners and we had an enormous debt that we could not pay ourselves. And that if we died apart from you, that we would have to spend an eternity apart from you, tormented to satisfy that debt. But that you sent Jesus Christ in our place, the perfect sinless lamb, and he bore that debt and he satisfied your wrath so that we could be free to have eternal life with you. God, if there's anybody who's not a part of that community and wants to be a part of that community, let this be the day that you reveal yourself to them. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.